Can I push this the right direction? Did that work or is it the wrong way? All right. Take your Bibles and turn with me, if you will, to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1. I do appreciate the opportunity this evening, and I just wanted to take a moment and let you all know how much I appreciate you. Uh, when Marvin and I and the girls were looking for a place to worship, um, and we visited here, you've been so gracious in opening your hearts to us and welcoming us and, and loving on us, and we just appreciate you so much. We appreciate our pastor, and uh, I hope that uh, you're praying that he has a good, restful vacation. Uh, speaking as one who's done that, uh, it takes a few days to decompress and, and before you can even start, and so uh, I hope that you'll remember him in prayer. We are blessed with our pastor. Amen. And you, if you're recording this, you can take that part out. I don't want to mess up his humility. But, uh, you know, we are blessed to have a man who loves the Lord the way he does and the way he preaches the word. And I, I appreciate uh, Pastor Ferguson so much. You know, every pulpit's different. It feels different. You know, you, you get behind it, and it, it's just different. And, uh, you know... It takes a minute to, to get used to it. This one feels great, you know, and, uh, uh, but uh, it's, it's, uh, it's different. Lots of times when you get ready to, to speak or to preach somewhere, even though you may know everyone there, it's, 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 uh, I still get nervous, you know. I've been, I never really feel old, to be honest with you. I don't really feel old, but then I think I've been preaching almost as long as our pastor's been alive, and then I feel a little old, okay? I feel a little older then, but, you know, the, the, the fact is, is that as you get ready to minister the Word and to share that which God has placed upon your life to share, it's, it's an awe-inspiring moment. It's a moment to take and say, and there are certain things that, you know, just help us, and, and um, I, I love to kind of warm up a little bit and get used to everything here. It's amazing that God would use any of us. It's, I stand in awe that he would love the likes of me. That could be said of all of us, though, right? We stand amazed at his great love. I'm going to ask that you stand with me in honor of the reading of the word, and then please remain standing as we... As, if, you, if you can stand, please do. And, and, uh, and we're going to read the word here. We're going to begin with 1 Peter chapter 1, and verse 1. And then please remain reading, uh, remain standing for uh, a word of prayer. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, grace unto you and peace be multiplied. 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, wherein ye great rejoice, though now for a season, if need be, ye are in heaviness through manifold temptations, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found into praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ, whom, having not seen, ye love, in whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. Father, we thank you for the reading of the word. We pray now that you would just open our hearts and our minds to you, that, Father, you would speak to us that we would feel your presence in a mighty and powerful way. Father, we ask that you'd be with the pastor and his family as they're away from us, and that you would watch over them, keep them safe, that, Father, you would provide them with the rest that they need. Father, we ask that you'd be with Pastor Scott and his family as his father is facing the heart cath, that, Father, you would uh, do all things well and as you always do, and that you would uh, bring him through uh, with flying colors. Thank you for being God. We stand in awe of your greatness, and we ask all these favors and these blessings in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. You know, there are certain people in the Bible that, I don't know, I find it hard to imagine what they were like, or, or how they lived the lives that they did. You know, and, and sometimes we stand in awe of them, and we, we think of them as being maybe even like super saints, and... and uh, we uh, just find it hard to imagine them. I mean, Joseph is one of those people for me. I, I have trouble imagining Joseph because I know me. And I know that if I had had a dream that I was going to one day be exalted and all my brothers were going to be bowing down to me, the day they did it, I'd have to say, told you so. That would be me, you know? And how he could not do that, and how that, you know, he could say, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Uh, You know, that's a maturity level that I'm still working towards. Joseph's one of those guys that I think of, and I think, wow, you know, that, he's, you know, up there. Now, there's parts of the Apostle Paul that I have way up there, and there's parts of the Apostle Paul I understand you know, the arrogant Pharisee, I got that, okay? I understand that part, but the, you know, the, the, you know, I've been shipwrecked, I've been beaten, I've been stoned, I've been left for dead, I've been robbed, I've been in peril of countrymen, I've been in peril of robbery, you know, and, 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 these, and then he goes, these light afflictions. And I'm thinking, someone should give Paul a dictionary so he can look up the word light, you know? And I, I kind of think, how in the world does he do that? Peter, however, is one of those people that yeah, I can, you know, I get Peter, you know, and, and I, I, you know, I can imagine what Peter looked like, you know, Peter's a big rugged guy and, you know, and it all charge and, you know, some days the mouth runs away before the brain has ever been engaged. And how many of you have ever been like that, you know, amen or old me, I don't, you know, whatever. And, and I've listened over the years as different people. Even as, a, even as a kid, I could imagine what it was like to be Peter. You know? And, and, and 
Peter is, is a, you know, how many of you think Peter and, and I, you know, we're like the same cloth? And, and you know, I, there's four lessons that I think that we can learn from the life of Peter from this first chapter here, these verses that we've read. And, and, and the first one is, is that God will use us even after our failures. Notice how he begins. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. In chapter, in, in chapter 1 of 2 Peter, where you can turn over, he says, Simon Peter, a servant, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to them that have obtained like precious faith. An apostle. One who was chosen and set apart to deliver a message to a particular people and place and time. That's what an apostle was. Someone who had a special commission, who had been trained by Jesus himself and sent out on that special mission to establish the church. And, and you know, and, and you stop and you think about Peter. And, you know, I've often wondered, because everything Peter did got memorialized for all time in Scripture. How would you like it if God wrote down every time you goofed up so everyone could read it. I am so glad there's no home movies in heaven. You know? Tonight, Jim Gosnell, you know? That's, I'm, I'm glad that's not going to happen. But have you ever thought about Peter, you know, on some night when he couldn't sleep, thinking back over things, and, you know, I could just see him thinking, you know, yeah, there I was, lost my temper, tried to take off the guy's head. Yeah, there's going to be some Baptist preacher that's going to preach about that one a whole lot. You know? Or how many times did I get it wrong when I was, you know, talking before I thought about it? I remember sitting in, in, in college in, a, in a, uh, a special services that we were having. We had what was known as the Midwestern Fellowship. And, and whenever the Midwestern Fellowship was, we would be out of class for two days, and it was two straight days of preaching. You sat in chapel, and it was one preacher after another. It started usually about 9 a.m. The first guy would preach from 9 to 10, the second one from 10 to 11, the third one 11 to 12 you broke for an hour come back one to two two to three three to four four to five five to six break for supper seven to eight eight to nine nine to ten and it was for two days like that and it was various alumni that would come back and they would preach and you know and it was just you know good old fundamental baptist preaching hard 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 and I remember there was one guy come, and he, he, he preached about Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration. And, and he just let Peter have it. I mean, Peter was, you know, Peter was trying to exalt Moses and Elijah to the same level as, as God, and that's the reason why God had to stop everything and say, this is my beloved son, hear ye him. Peter, you're not paying attention to the right one. And, I, and I'm sitting there thinking, listening to this, and I'm thinking, poor Peter. You know, listen, Peter was excited. I understood Peter. Stop and think about this. 
He is seeing Jesus glorified. He's already declared that Jesus is the Christ. He's already said, you're the Christ. Who else are we going to go to? When Jesus had looked at him and said, you know, are, are, you, two, are you all going to leave me also? It was Peter who said, you're the Christ. You're the Son of God. Where else are we going to go? And now he sees him in the glorified state. And then not only that, but here is Moses, the great lawgiver, the one who had been, you know, the the servant of God. I mean, you know, and he's there. And and Elijah, the great prophet who had prayed, and it had not rained for three and a half years. And then he prayed, and here it came. Who God God had answered with fire from heaven. I got to be honest with you. If I had seen it, I'd have said like Peter, Lord, it is good to be here. Let's just stay here. And let's build cabins for the three of you and let's have a good time. I am convinced that Peter was not trying to put them on the same level as Jesus. Peter was just excited. Have you ever been excited and and said something and it, it came out? It sounded right up here, but then it came out and you thought, no, that's not quite right what I wanted, you know? And that's what happened to Peter. But there it is. Memorial lies for all time. Or how about when, you know, he said, Lord was saying, you know, I'm going to Jerusalem. They're going to crucify the Son of Man. You know, and and Peter says, no, Lord, that's not going to happen. We can't let that happen. That's not going to happen. Jesus looked at him and said, what? Get thee behind me, Satan. Talk about hurt. Ouch. You just called me Satan, you know? And I have listened to sermon after sermon after sermon, and after sermon has nailed Peter for saying that. And was Peter wrong? Yeah, because Peter wasn't thinking about the big picture. But you see, I understand Peter, because if you love someone, and and they're saying, you know, these people are going to hurt me, not as long as I got breath. You know? Not as long as there's breath inside me. That's not going to happen. I understand, Peter. But even after we fail, and even after we talk before we think, and after we get excited and, and you know, do all the goofy things we do, and aren't you glad they aren't memorialized? God still takes Peter and uses him to do great things. He became the spokesperson for the apostles. He became the early leader among the apostles. He preached on Pentecost and 3,000 came to know Jesus. Can you imagine preaching your first sermon and and 3,000 people get saved on your first sermon? Where do you go from there? I mean, you know. And I've never heard of anyone since who's preached and 3,000 people got saved at that day. Can you imagine, you know, if we had 3,000 people get saved in a day and we had to baptize all of them? You realize that the four pastors would each have to baptize 750 people 
talk about your Baptist services, we'd have a good time. Amen? Each one of them would have to baptize 750 people. We'd be here for a little bit. Can you imagine that's exactly what took place on Pentecost? An amazing thought. It was Peter who opened the door to the Gentiles to be saved. It was Peter who went to Cornelius' house. And let us never forget, it's still Peter who walked on water with Jesus. And I know everyone races to say, yeah, but he began to sink. Yeah, but he still did it. I haven't. That still puts him up there a bit, huh? And what Peter teaches us here is that he was the one to proclaim that Jesus was the Messiah when Jesus asked, who do people say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ. You're Christ. You're the Messiah. You're the Christos. You're the Son of God. It was Peter. In spite of all of those things, God used him. And, and to me, that is an amazing thing. And, and the reason it's wonderful for us is that it shows that God can use even the most common of us. Even those of us that are prone to engage our lips before our brain's been engaged. Those of us that sometimes just do something, it just got to be done, you know, you got to do something. And it may not yet be time for that to be done, but, you know, we race right on ahead. It shows the divine appointment that God has for each of our lives. Because, you see, it is only the Holy Spirit who can take that common, everyday person and save us and set us apart to do a great work for Him. To have an impact on someone else's life to cause them to grow in grace or to walk closer to the Lord. It has nothing to do with us. It's, in fact, the the power of God working in us and through us. To me, one of the great things about Peter is he reminds us that, you know what? I may mess up, but God's got all my mess up under control. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you glad to know that God has everything under control even when you're not in control? That he's still directing you and guiding you. So the first thing, first lesson I think we learned from Peter's life is the fact that God takes care and uses us even after we've messed up. The second thing that I think that we see here in this passage of Scripture is that God desires our spiritual maturity more than any comfort on our part. Look again at verse 4. To an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, and that fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith into salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. God wants us to grow up. And just like a child inching towards maturity, so we should be showing growth as we live the Christian life. You know, lots of times I I, I talk to young parents and, you know, they'll be saying, I don't think we're ever going to get to this two-year-old stage. You know, the terrible twos leads to the trying threes. You know, 
And, and I've had some, so many parents at times tell me, you know, I don't think I'm going to make it through this with this kid. You know what my advice to them is? Enjoy every moment because you'll turn around and they're 23 and 26. And you think, how did they get there? Seeing as how I'm only 22 myself. I mean, you know, you know, how did that happen? It's amazing that it takes place and it seems so quick. Sometimes when you're growing up, how many of you thought it took you forever to get to be a teenager? You know? And, 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 and then to get your license. Oh, wasn't that a sweet day? You know? And then finally you were 18, you know, and all of that went with that. And it was so cool and so wonderful. And the next thing you know, you're graduating from high school, graduating from college. And next thing you know, you're turning 30. And I love how they always put that, turning 30. It sounds like you soured milk, you know. You, you, you just, they turn 30, you know. Then you hit 40, you know. And you think, how does this take place? Where did time go? It's the same way as Christians. Sometimes we move, it seems, so slowly, and we start out and and. First Peter 2, 1 and 2, he says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the world, word that you may grow thereby. We begin to grow. As Christians, God starts us on a journey of growth. And some days it seems like it takes us forever to get to be a year old, Right? But as we grow, we begin to learn some things about God. We begin to learn about how he's faithful to us. We begin to see how that in those tough places of life and in the difficult moments, it's then that we grow the most. It's then that we find ourselves with a spurt of growth as we see God move in our life, as he meets a need, or as he leads us through some really deep waters and we think, you know what, I don't think I'm going to make it through. And he says, don't worry, I'm here. Sometimes the world beats up on us. And as the psalmist says, we need the anointing of the Spirit's oil upon us. And we need to rest beside some clear, cool streams. Knowing that our shepherd is right there to take care of us and to love us. When we stop and we think about growing as a Christian after being touched by the Holy Spirit, we find in us after we've lived it for a while that guess what? We don't ever want to go back to what we were. You'll notice that Peter, when, when before the Holy Spirit came in and dwelt them all, that Peter said, I go fishing. And he decided to go back fishing, and not, it didn't work out so good. But you'll notice that after the Holy Spirit came, Peter never went fishing again. 
not commercially. He didn't want to go back to that old life. And you and I, after we begin to grow and, and after we begin to mature and after we begin to see God work in our life day after day, as we see him come through in the moments where we didn't think anything could make things better, and there he is to comfort us, to guide us, to love on us. When we begin to realize that we are his, that we are special, and that we are precious to him. And as we begin to mature, and acknowledge the reality of what God does in our life. Oh, how great it becomes, amen? How wonderful for us then to realize that he is there for us. Now, there's a promise that that we have, and it doesn't always come easy. If you'll turn with me to 2 Peter chapter uh, 1, In verse 2, it says, Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord, according as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. I love that, that he's given to us all things. Everything we need, we are complete in him. I love when we sing that song, complete in him. that we have all things that we need and that we have been called to glory and virtue whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might bear partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust and besides this giving all diligence add to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off, and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. You see, the thing about it is, is that there's some work on our part. That means that we have to, what? Study. We have to read the Word. We have to immerse ourselves in it. Now, the great thing about it is the more that you do that, the more joy you have, the more joy you have, you know, the more you want to do it because you begin to hear God speak to you. Now, people say, do you actually hear a voice? Yeah, some days. I have people say, Actually, you hear voices, you're just jealous that they don't talk to you. But, you know, in your heart you hear that voice that you know is God speaking to you. Have you ever been praying about something, you're so burdened about it, and you you just, you feel like you just can't go a step further? And suddenly there's this voice that says inside you, I've got this. Or maybe it's like you felt like you were just stumbling all over creation about to fall and not knowing how to handle anything. I got you. Have you ever run to your father and climbed up in his lap and said, Daddy, you know we're allowed to say that. 
according to Romans chapter 8, we receive the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, what? Abba. That was the familiar term. That was the family term. My oldest daughter, when, when we were in Missouri and she was in a class that was teaching them, you know, about church and things like that, and, and they were teaching them who was the deacons and who was the pastor and, and this is the way you address them and everything. And, and the following Monday, she come into the kitchen where I was and she looked at me and she says, Pastor, can I have a glass of water? I looked at her and said, you know what? Yes, I'm your pastor, but you call me daddy. And yes, he is sovereign of the universe, and yes, he is God Almighty, and yes, he is the one who speaks and universes come into existence. But he says to us, call me daddy. I love you. And like a father, he loves us unconditionally with everything that he is. I mentioned to the Sunday school class this morning, I find it interesting that it says that he sings over us. I mean, how many of you when, you, when your kid was little, your child was little, and you were holding them, how many of you sang, you are my sunshine to them? Go ahead, raise your hand. Yeah, I see you, you know. You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You know what you're doing? You were singing over them. You were rejoicing because they were your child. Maybe not that song, maybe there was another song, but it was a song that, that, you, that was meant for you and them. I find it interesting that the time where we hear God singing, it's what? Over us, is redeemed, his children. Isn't that, a, isn't that cool? Stop and think about that. And you see, as we add to our faith virtue and as we live our virtuous life and we, add, and we do it with all diligence, and then comes knowledge, knowledge brings about temperance and we begin to moderate ourselves. And then comes patience, well, there's that word. It means to stick with it. And to patience, godliness, Godliness, brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness leads us to loving people. To love. Unashamedly, unreservedly. To love. And the promise is, is that, the, the, you know, is that if we do these things, we don't need to fall. We don't need to fear falling. Why? Because we know that God has us. Look at verse 10 of that, of that same chapter. He says, Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you shall never fall. We don't need to be afraid. We are God's kid. He loves us. The third thing I notice here is that God, and as Christ followers, we will suffer. There's going to be tough places in our life. And Peter doesn't say, you know, life's going to be smooth. I'm always amazed when someone, you know, gets saved and they're so excited. Don't you love a newborn Christian? They're just so fun. They're so excited and it's so great and life is great and nothing is ever going to go wrong and it's perfect. And then they run into themselves. Or they run into someone else who is being themselves that day. 
and run into a situation, a temptation. Jesus and Peter both suffered in life and in death. What makes us think that we're not going to? The promise is this. And it, it, and it may be an unpopular truth among certain segments of the church population, but Christians will undergo trials. If you haven't yet, you will. Hang on. Christians are subject to heartache. We are subject to disease. We are subject to being falsely accused about things. We, are, we will face oppression. You know, because Satan will try to bully you, intimidate you. He'll use other people to get in your way, to make you feel like, well, maybe, you know, I just, you know. And remember this, that that's what Satan is. Satan's a bully. He knows he can't have you. He knows he can't beat you. But if he can scare you, he wins. And so he'll try. We'll be subject to oppression. We are subject to temptation. I tell people, you know, I can resist anything but temptation. There are certain foods that, you know, because of my health, I'm, I'm not supposed to eat a whole lot of, you know? And, and, you know, I've become a master at figuring out how I can eat these things. And, and you know, I love anything that has cooked apples in it. I mean, you know, it, 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 I, apple pie, apple fritters, Apple dumplings, apple whatever. I, I I love it. And my wife will tell me, you know, you shouldn't eat too much of that because it's going to, you know, your sugar and everything, and you have to. And and so, you know, did you know that apples are fruit, and fruit is good for you. As a matter of fact, isn't the saying an apple a day keeps the doctor away, right? So apples are good for me. Amen. You know? And, and, and most baked apple things have cinnamon in them. And cinnamon has been proven, medically proven, to help with your, your sugar levels. So cinnamon is a good thing, amen? I mean, an apple dumpling is almost health food. And my wife says, yeah, but what about all that bread... And the extra added sugar and brown sugar and all that that is in. And I said, okay, my delivery system needs a little work. But basically, it's good for me, right? Guess what? Christians are subject to temptation. Whatever it was that we gave into a lot in our previous life before we got saved, guess what? That's going to be something that's going to be an area where we're going to face some temptations. Why? Because even though the old man is dead and we don't have to listen to him, that influence kind of lives on, doesn't it? If you were quick-tempered before you got saved, guess what? You're going to have to watch out because you're going to be tempted to be quick-tempered after you got saved. If you weren't patient before you got saved, guess what? 
you're going to be tempted in the area of patience and, you know, and being impatient with people. And so you have to be careful. We're all going to face that. We're all going to go through different trials. And, and, and there's going to be times when our heart is going to be hurting. And there's going to be times when we're going to think, Lord, I can't go on. And, and Peter is saying, you can. You see, we need to change our thinking. If you look back at chapter 4 of 1 Peter... Here's the secret. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God, verse 19, commit the keeping of their souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. You know what it says? It says when you're undergoing trial, when you're undergoing temptation, when your heart is aching, when you don't know which way is up, commit to God. Commit yourself to him. He's faithful. He'll see you through. And he'll become more precious to you. And he'll become more and more what you need every day. And the more you commit to him, the more commitment you find. And you'll find him meeting your needs in ways and in comforting you. The last lesson I want to give you real quick is that Christ followers must lead godly lives. Look at verse 15 and 16 of chapter 1 of 1 Peter. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. Peter, like Paul in the first church, lived in the reality of the imminent return of Jesus Christ. I'm convinced that they believed that they would see it actually happen in their lifetime. And Peter writes vividly of that in, in chapter 3 of, of 2 Peter. And in the middle of his discussion, he pins these words to his hearers under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In, in chapter 3, verse 11 of 2 Peter, he writes these words, Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Peter uses two phrases here that I think capture our attention. first one is holy conversation. It's our lifestyle. It's a lifestyle that's set apart from the world unto God. And guess what? It has to be that way. It has to be set apart from the world unto God. Because if you set apart from the world, but it's not unto God, guess what? You're still not going to have a holy conversation. It's going to be weird. You're just not going to look like everyone else. But you're not going to be acting like God either. And you cannot be set apart unto God and hang on to what's over here in the world. That doesn't work either. And guess what? Being a Christian and being a godly Christian and a holy Christian and living a holy lifestyle is not for sissies. It's not for people that need crutches. 
It's for men and women, boys and girls, who are sold out to God and said, guess what? I don't care what anyone else thinks. God's all that's important to me. And I guarantee you that if you do that, you will walk different than everyone else, and they will notice it. And some of them will make fun of you, and some of them will try to intimidate you, and some of them will hate you. But there'll be some that will look at you and say, hey, there's something different, and what is that difference? And how do I get different? How do I become different? You see, we must be set apart unto God. Our lifestyle. That means the things that we look at, the things that we watch, the things that we talk about are going to be different than what the world is. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't enjoy, you know, sports or that we can't enjoy. But these are not the, uh, you know, I've, I've got relatives that, you know, as long as you can talk about cars, you can talk to them. But they, you don't know anything about cars. I don't know. It's like, wow, hot weather, huh? You know, then you hear the crickets, you know. But you see, when we are believers and we are together and we are sold out to God, we not only can enjoy some of that stuff, but we can also enjoy it in a way that's holy. It's not going to become the main thing in our life. The most important thing to you, what is it? I can't answer that question. You can answer that question. I can't answer it. Maybe I should, I should say it this way. Who's the most important to you in your life? Whose opinion matters the most to you? Your neighbors? Your spouses? Your children? Your parents? Your teachers? Your employer? Or is it God? A holy conversation begins when we believe and realize that God is the most important and his well done is what we look for. That begins a holy conversation. Conversation means lifestyle. Because once we make up our mind that the only person who matters in my life and who's the only opinion that matters in my heart is God's opinion of me, then we begin to walk differently. And that difference is called godliness. Godliness is, the, in fact, the first standard of, of our life. And for those of you that are in Marine class, I apologize because this is going to sound a little bit like what you've already heard the last several weeks. But our very first standard as a believer is to love God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. That's godliness. That is loving him. It is becoming whatever he is. Whatever increases our ability to be like him. Godliness is everything that makes us more like him. And ungodliness is anything that keeps me from being like him. It means that I, I want to learn and hide everything that I can learn of him deep in my heart. That I want whatever I learn to be eternal in my life. 
The Apostle Paul said that I may know him. And the idea there is that I might know him intimately. That I might know the way he thinks. How many of you that have been married for a while realize that ever so often, you know, you'll be thinking something and, and uh, your, your, your wife or your husband will be thinking the same thing? And you may even say it together. I know one night I was sitting there in, the, in our living room, reclined in my chair, thinking, you know what? Some crunching munch would be wonderful about right now. About that time, Marva put her chair down. She got up. She went out into the kitchen and into the pantry area. And she comes back, and she hands me a box of crunching munch. I hadn't even said anything. I said, I was just thinking that. She said, not so loud next time, you know? (laughs) How does she know stuff like that? We've been married almost 29 years. We've started thinking a lot alike. That's pretty cool. Scary for her, but pretty cool, you know? want to know him, that I might think like he does. That I might know what he's thinking, when he's thinking. To encourage ourselves in all that he is to us. Godliness means that I want to think about all that he's meant to me. How I want to spend more time than I've ever spent before with him. How that I can look back over the miles of my journey and see the places where he has been faithful to me and true to me. Even when I was falling apart. Godliness means to live before others a clear and a transparent life. That what they see is the reality of who we are. I had a friend that told me one day that he was going to rip up his church parking lot and and sell it. I said, why? He said, there's something that happens when people pull in on a church parking lot. He said, they suddenly become really holy. They may be arguing all the way from home, but man, they turn into that parking lot and butter won't melt in their mouth. They're so sweet. Listen, godliness means that we are who we are. Whether we're in the church walls, whether we're in our house, that we seek to be transparent and honest with ourselves before God and others. Peter was a great guy. He was as human, and I love that about him. Because I'm human even though I don't like to admit that. But he was one who God used to do great and glorious things, and I believe that God would do great and glorious things with you. Add to your faith. Seek his face. And realize this, that you are complete in him. 
as a believer, there is absolutely nothing else you need except more of him. And he's asking you today, come, learn of me. Learn more about me. Know me. I don't know how the Spirit may have spoken to your heart tonight, but I'm going to ask uh, Pastor Toman if he would come and lead us in a verse of song. And as we sing this first verse, if God has spoken to you in any way, would you come and just say, Lord, yes, I'll obey. Or maybe tonight you're not even sure that you're saved, but you want to know it. You want to know for sure that you're on your way to heaven. The question was asked, are you 100% for sure that if you died right now, you'd spend eternity in heaven, and you can't say a resounding yes? And the answer is no. Would you come and let us show you from God's word how you can know for sure that heaven is your home? However, the Holy Spirit has spoken to you. Will you come as we stand and as we sing?